Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa So this evening, I would like to talk about what is helpful and what's not helpful during meditation retreats like this. This is really based on my experience and my views and my ideas. So first and foremost, I'm very uh, grateful for your practice. What we are doing here is actually very rare. Not so many people are doing what we are doing here. So I'm really grateful. Even myself, when I come in this space, yogi space, it's so inspiring to see what you're doing, your practice. And sometimes I thought, we should put a sign here at IMS. There is already a sign at Spirit Rock. It says, yield to the present moment. <laughs> I love that. We should put one sign over there. So all people who come uh, driving here, finding you walking. And there should be another sign. Uh, the second sign after that sign. It should be meditation in progress. <laughs> and yet, and the third important sign, beware of slow walking yogis. <laughs> walking at 10 meters per hour. <laughs> when I first went to Uganda to introduce meditation, I used to stay in a tent, which I called mobile tent, uh, temple. And I used to walk from my tent, walk back and forth. I was so amazed how many people came to me asking me, what am I looking for? <laughs> I said, are you lost? I mean, I just have to give up sometime and say I'll walk somewhere and I, I would go far away from people and start doing walking, meditation. I don't know how you feel, but you know, people coming here and see what you're doing here, especially outside there, walking slowly and slowly. It's really beautiful. And not so many people are doing it. And it's very powerful. And this leads to a wonderful transformation. So over the years, I developed an acronym, which is called SPACE space and this has some of the tips that you need here because I found this to be very helpful. So S in space stands for slow down and silence. P stands for patience. A stands for attitude and C stands for continuity. That one you have to refer to a beautiful talk by Andrea yesterday. <laughs> I'm not going to go over it. <laughs> I'll spoil it <laughs> if I talk about continuity again. But I'll just mention it lightly. And then E stands for expectation free. Not expect expectation freak. Because most of us <laughs> were expecting and expecting this and that. So we start with the S. Slow down. Slow down. Slowing down is very, very important, not only for the body, but also for the mind. I think you have got enough instructions about slowing down. I think the instruction you need more is about silence. But I can share my experience with you regarding slow down. When I did a uh, three months here in 1999, I was walking very, very fast. 
very fast compared to others. And I was wondering whether I would be able to slow down. Luckily, there was a yogi here. She was walking so slow and I was so inspired. I said, let me try to walk like this yogi. But still there was a problem with me. There was a frustration because I got two jobs. One was a barrel ringer. And I would go early in the morning and ring a bell. Then uh, uh, lunchtime, those schedules you know very well. But one of the shifts for me to ring a bell was a bit frustrating. I used to find this yogi who inspires me a lot in walking slowly. She was walking so slow and I could not pass very quickly to (laughs) ring the bell. I said, please, and I I couldn't talk to her. I just fumed with the frustration. How is she going to go a little bit quicker so that I can ring a bell? So the same yogi became a source of inspiration and the same yogi became a source of frustration because I could not pass her, especially down there there's a place where two people cannot walk. What's the name? Boring, what's the name? Yes, that place. If I could avoid that place. <laughs> and many times I phoned her walking there and uh, it was very frustrating. <laughs> and then uh, also my job was washing dishes lunchtime. Back then there was no such modification. So what happened is plates used to run out very quickly. So then I... Uh, we dishwashers, we had to bring them by holding them like this so that we can uh, replace those ones which are finished. So here I am holding hot plates like this and you find a slow walking yogi. (laughs) (laughs) You can't drop the plates. You start with the plates. It required a lot of patience. So the question is how slow can we walk and still be mindful not only ourselves, also other yogis, you know. I think this is very, very important. It became for me an area to work with. When I'm walking, I would have some kind of global awareness whereby I'm walking, but I'm still mindful of the people around me. And this is a practice of mindfulness, being mindful mindful of the body internally and externally. So also try to slow down, but also be mindful of others also. There are some areas where maybe you need to walk a little bit faster. Yeah, but definitely what helps is really to slow down to the extent that you can be mindful. What doesn't help is really to move so fast, just like the way you move in your day life. It doesn't help a lot. When you look at that fan, you all of you look at it, it's slowing down. You can count the blades. You can find out maybe they have dust or not, cobweb or not. You can actually. But if I, move, I just turn the speed to fast, speed, you cannot count the blades. How many are they, by the way? <laughs> Two or three? <laughs> Up. <laughs> If it's very fast, you cannot really count how many blades are on this fan. So slowing down helps us to really, especially with the body, to really know what's arising and what's passing away. You know? it's, it's very, very important. But I would like to also to talk more about silence because it's also very important to slow down the mind for me, during my meditation retreats, I found out I would keep quiet so the body would be on vacation and the mind would be working very hard. I don't know if you have that experience. <laughs> the mind is overworking, but the body is on vacation. So that showed me that really I can keep quiet, which we call total silence. But there's running programs. Eh? 
you know those phones smartphones where you actually have a program in uh, in the back in the front and then in the background there's so many programs running hmm? have you had that experience and that actually dazzles a lot of power battery power because so many programs are still running so we come here and meditate good yogis hmm, meditating we all observe silence but still the mind is so loud thinking loudly is that your experience but then the question is how can we close those programs in a chatter hmm? and uh, there's a research uh, about uh, the it's called and the, uh, in a book called The How of Happiness, they found out overthinking is one number one cause of unhappiness. We think. We cannot silence the mind. And also, during the opening talk, one of us talked about is not being silenced. is actually listening. Listening to what's going on. So what I found out to be very helpful is... Every seat to make a determination to close the programs. This is the determination I make. I'll let go of the inner chatter and be mindful of the present moment. So I make that determination. I'll let go of the inner chatter like this. And then I'll be mindful of the present moment. What's very interesting is when we make this determination, the Pali word is aditana, a very, very powerful uh, perfection, actually, determination, is the mind is going, is going to remember this. Hmm? As when the mind is having lots of programs, oh, you remember, oh, I made this determination to close the programs. <laughs> so this is very, very helpful. So this is more slowing down the mind too, not only the body. So don't only slow down the mind, I mean the body, but also try to slow down the mind so that it's not uh, all over <laughs> speeding. But of course, as we go into the retreat uh, deeper, slowly by slowly, the mind will settle down and most of those background programs will close. But uh, be mindful of that. Be mindful of that, those uh, states, uh, those thoughts that keep on bubbling you know, all the time. There's something I do about it also during retreats. I found out I have so many projects to do in Uganda. <laughs> so they always come during this kind of retreats. What I do on a daily basis I would write down on a small paper my thought and put it in a closet and forget about it. So let's say if I have a retreat for one month, I expect to find out around 30 knots. <laughs> because if I don't do this, I'll spend all my time thinking about what project I'm going to do. Every time it will come, oh, this is unfinished business. You know, when you finish here, you have to go to Uganda and do this, make sure that you do this and this, this orphanage and that and that. Most of those things, actually, they will happen anyway without thinking about them. <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> In fact, what's very interesting, most of the things we think about, like 100% of the things... <laughs> 75 don't happen. <laughs> so it's a lot of wastage, actually. Mental energy wastage, you know. So I write it down. Write it down. Just maybe one thought which is bugging you. It's very obsessive. Just write it down. Put it there in a suitcase. And at the end of the retreat, open them. <laughs> you find out, actually, most of it was passing thoughts. <laughs> And you're sweating bullets to find out how you're going to do this project, you know. So I think for me this is very helpful. And if it's helpful for you, you can use it. It's up to you. But I found it very helpful 
to really write down all this. Uh, of course, not pages and after pages, just a small note of a thought that really keeping you on coming again and again and again. I write it down, forget about it. Whether you are thinking about starting a sitting group after here, write it down. Finding a <laughs> starting a sitting group with ABC. Some of it are thoughts actually with the fellow yogis here. Yeah, I think after the retreat, I'm going to talk about to this person. And we can actually start a sitting group. And we all invite yogis, you know. <laughs> so it's just amazing all the plans we have, you know. Write them down. <laughs> At the end of the retreat, find out whether they are very realistic or not. <laughs> that helps slowing down and silence. Of course, silence extends to noble silence, where we attend second jhana, where there's no initial apl application of thoughts and sustained application of thoughts. But also silence goes to silencing, actually, mental states, mental defilements, greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the highest, fo highest form of silence. The Buddha was called Muni as a sage. It means sage. But actually, it means not that somebody's talking, I mean, is a non-talking, um, what called uh, dumb, not dumb, but it means that somebody has silenced greed, hatred, and delusion. That's why it was called money, which literally means sage. A sage is the one who has silenced greed, hatred, and delusion. That person can still talk, can go out and talk, but the mind is quiet. So this is about silence, and so P, next one, P stands for patience. Patience is very, very important in our practice. As you know, patience is a, one of the paramis. The Pali word is kanti, uh, means patience. It is, it is the ability to accept uh, whatever is arising with the equanimity. When we come here, these are, there are many things that arise. Uh, Sometimes the sitting is good. <laughs> Sometimes the sitting is not so good. So we must have the ability to accept whatever is arising. Sometimes the mind wanders. This doesn't mean that we are bad yogis. The mind has the nature to wonder. For me, what gives me some kind of courage is that what, when I go for this kind of longer retreats and the mind wanders, I look at this as an insight into impermanence and nature. All of us here, there's something that we are going to get, and you are not going to miss this. Even if you feel that your mind is wandering a lot, there's one insight that you won't miss. Do you know that insight? That the mind wanders. <laughs> <laughs> you won't miss that. Even if you think that all, all the time your mind is wandering, the body is at Iowa's and the mind is in New York, uh, you are all over all the time, or you are not going to miss this insight. It's amazing. It's that profound. <laughs> Most of the time people look at insight into Anicca, Dukkha, and non-self, Anatta, but some of these things reveal themselves in a very simple way. Just like looking at the mind, you know, looking at the pain, for instance. Most of the time, that's when we lose our patience. Pain arises. You apply all the techniques, but nothing works. Pain continues to rage. You become very impatient. What insight do you get? <laughs> In personal nature of your experience, because if you have control over this, you should be able to tell the pain, please stop. 
but it, it's not the case. It's not the case. You can't stop it. You can work with it and then see how you can deal with it, softening around it, being patient with it. So these things you can do, but you may not just talk to pain, okay, stop here. I don't need you now. So this is the impersonal nature, anatta, not self, selfless nature of the experience. You get that insight. So what's very helpful is to be patient with your experience. Impatience is a form of aversion, anger. Anytime you have impatience towards your experience, that shows there's aversion, there's anger. That's not what you want. <laughs> you want to overcome aversion and anger. So we have to cultivate patience and be with whatever's arising and try to endure with mindfulness, with wisdom and understanding. Again, this came to my, uh, this is from my experience in 1999. I was sitting right there and uh, pain visited me. And what I did is to practice impatience. <clears throat> one cushion. I was putting one cushion. My friend next to me was removing cushions. I said, what's going on here? <laughs> I piled the second cushion. Still pain comes. I pile another cushion, three cushions. Actually, I was, I think, apart from those who were sitting in a chair, I think I was taller. <laughs> but what was very inspiring, next to me was a friend who was just removing cushions all the time. I just found out just sitting only one zapton. So I didn't know what to do with this pain. <laughs> But what I found out, I was very impatient. And sometimes I would sit in a chair. I would have two spots, actually. <laughs> one when the pain is too much. Another one when I can tolerate it. Until they made announcement. <laughs> you know that nasty, <laughs> nasty announcement? <laughs> whereby you have to retain only one seat. <laughs> I think it was yesterday. <laughs> If you choose the seat for down, you are, you are really doomed, basically. <laughs> because I didn't want to be in the chair all the time, you know. Though I'm in the chair now, actually, it's because of my pain, some other things here. But I really want to sit down. But anyway, I had a lot of pain. But I, I really had to develop patience. Patience doesn't mean really sit there and start sweating in pain when you have pain. It means really see how you can work softly, softly and open softly, you know, without much being upset, not being angry about it, but really have the equanimity to watch what's going on. I, look, I want to look at this quality of patience like a planting a seed. That's why my first book is called Planting Dhamma Seed. You need patience. You need to till the land, of course, remove weeds, and plant the seed. And then it has to start, it germinates, and they start growing, and it has its schedule to keep. You can't sit there and say, okay, you know, I, I need fruits. Hey, come on. <laughs> Give me some fruits. <laughs> Whatever the beans or what. <laughs> so my first book is called Planting Dharma Seeds because when I, I, I started introducing Buddhism in Uganda, I had to put out that intention, wholesome intention, and then the skillful effort to do so. But the results, I don't have control over this. I don't know how many people are going to be interested in meditation or those who are going to become Buddhists, I have no clue. So when we come to our meditation here, we need to have that patience whereby we trust our intentions, skillful intentions, and our efforts to keep going. And then 
we have to have this quality of mind with what we call equanimity. We just see what's arising without agitation. And this is very important when it comes to pain. It requires a lot of patience because it stirs a lot of emotions, fear, uh, anger, frustration. And also pain also has its schedule to keep. You can change postures and all these things and go in a chair, but still pain will find you there. For me, even with three cushions, pain actually found me on three cushions. <laughs> so patience means actually really be with the whatever experience it is, observe your intentions. Like for instance, when I have lesser pain, I have patience. Maybe I observe when it's picking up with soap. Uh, it's very painful, very painful. I become mindful of the pain and do what it takes according to the instructions to be mindful of unpleasant feelings. And when there's a, a little bit of frustration, want to move, I have to watch, oh, intention to move, intention to move. And then I shift a little bit, shift a little bit. Not all the time like this. <laughs> Just a little bit of a release. So there's that patience. And still mindfulness there. I stone my guard so that there's no frustration or anger towards pain. And then if I have to move, I go to the place with that, another place with the intention to move. And then I move. And then I continue to meditate. But what I found out uh, before I learned this patience is that I was very impatient. And I found out in my impatience, I was cultivating three unwholesome mind states. What are those three un unwholesome states of mind I was cultivating? I was hating the old posture. I really hated it. <laughs> my posture. And then there was desire to go to a new posture. I would look at my chair like that. Next, the chair was next to me. I'd look there. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has taken it. Okay, yes. I will continue. So it was a, aversion to the, the posture. Then there's desire to go to a new posture. But there's also another mental state I was cultivating. Do you know that mental state? I told you three unwholesome states of mind. I was cultivating right there in my impatience with pain. I've told you aversion to this present posture, greed for the new posture. What other mind state? Yes, delusion. That when I go to the new posture, I'll, be, I'll experience everlasting happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's the delusion. Because when you go to a new posture, <laughs> pain is there, but it's not so obvious. I think this is very, very important, all of you, to really make exactly. Before you change the posture, really stay on your guard so that you don't cultivate these three mental states and wholesome mental states. Because in a quick shift like this, three of the mental states and wholesome mental states can be there within a second or two. Aversion, anger, desire, and delusion right there. So, patience is very important. Now, A, we go to A. A stands for attitude. Attitude is uh, more of uh, your evaluations of ideas, people, events, and all these things. There's a very good quote I got from uh, Winston Churchill. He said that, Attitude is a small thing that makes a big difference. And I love that one. You all know Winston Churchill, you know? Yes, I like that. So attitude towards our meditation and practice is very, very important. Because it can make a difference between uh, suffering <laughs> And happiness, or being in bondage, or being free. Hmm? 
what are the attitudes we are, I'm talking about? There's proper attitude and also there's improper attitude. And I'm going to start with the, what's very helpful. What's very, what is very helpful is proper attitude. Attitude of letting go. The attitude of uh, loving kindness and compassion towards your practice and whatever arises. The attitude of uh, understanding, wisdom, of whatever is arising. The attitude of courage to face what's arising. These are very, very important uh, ways of how to relate to what's happening. And there's this, a very important message here in meditation. Is It goes like this. Whatever is arising is not as important as to how we relate to what's happening. So our relationship with what's happening is very, very important. And that's what I call attitude. Wrong attitudes or improper attitudes is pushing away what we don't like. Is it familiar? <laughs> Indulging in what we want. Ignoring with what, uh, what we don't know. And fear. So you can see again mental states are being aligned here. Greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. These improper attitudes. But when you look at these attitudes, is actually coming from our day life. People who are giving us things, their friends, we reach out for them. People who frustrate our desires, <laughs> who uh, don't do what we want, they become enemies. We push them away from our life. And people whom, whom we don't know, we call them strangers. Hmm? People are strangers. So we, all, we are already doing this with people. Hmm? Pushing away what we don't want. <laughs> Enemies. <laughs> Things we don't know. Oh, these are strangers, you know. So we bring it in our meditation also, actually. Let's say, for instance, when we have pain. What attitude do you have when you have pain? What do you bring to the plate when things in front of you, you know, pain is in front of you? Are you pushing it away? Are you indulging in it? Are you ignoring it? What do we do, by the way, when you have pain? Push it away. Eh? I think that's a very common emotion of aversion towards pain. I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't like pain. <laughs> so I don't wake up and say, may I have pain? <laughs> Just like all of you. <laughs> so when it comes, there's always a tendency to really push it away, you know? Push it away real quick. But that's not a proper attitude. The best attitude, the proper attitude for me, is understanding. Understanding, oh, this is pain. Tomorrow I'll give guided meditation on, um, about pain and emotion, but now I, I just want to introduce to you that there's two kinds of pain, broadly I can say, there are two kinds of pain. One is emotional pain, another one is physical pain. Starting with the physical pain, the way I work with it so that I have a proper attitude is understanding this pain. I start to be mindful of pain, pain, the intensity of it, um, the way it's located, is it um, lasting for just a short moment or for a long time. Then uh, at that, that time I can be taking maybe uh, my primary object, let's say mindfulness of breathing. I can be mindful of pain and then come back to the breath. Mindfulness of pain and then come back to the breath. So what I do when I see that is increasing, I decide to then open to sounds, uh, hearing. So my mind is not constricted with pain. I just open it to the sounds, hearing, and then come back to the pain. 
And then once I find out that pain has an upper hand, that means it's very prominent, and I cannot be aware of other things like the breath or other things, what I do is to really break this pain into different strands. And as somebody I think has talked about four elements. Some of I think was Greg talking about four elements. Yes, I break this pain into four elements. And I found out that it was very, very helpful. Instead of seeing this pain as a ghost somewhere in my knee, eh, sitting here, I break it apart. And it's workable. Once you break it apart, it's workable. So what I am now experiencing is different strands of hotness, coolness, pressure, tightness, hardness, roughness, pressure, tightness. So different, different strands that uh, really when they come together, we call this pain. I really found out that to be very, very helpful when it came to uh, physical pain. And this attitude helped me to gain what we call continuity of mindfulness. And also get, I got some nuggets of wisdom, you know, seeing this rising and passing away. The hotness, the coolness, the pressure rising and passing away. And it helped me to see the conditionality of this uh, uh, pain it's based on conditions. Sometimes I know that this is four elements and I'm sitting on four elements. So I can see how the two are related. I mean, if you sit on soft cushions, <laughs> that's not a way to escape pain. I mean, you can put all soft cushions like this. And I ask my question, why do I get pain when I sit on soft cushions? Especially when I was in Burma in 2005 and 2004. I would see Burmese people sit on a very thin mat like this. No, you are, you are very lucky actually in the United States. <laughs> you have thrones actually here. <laughs> Then Burma, those who have been to Burma, they just sit a small mat like this. And they would sit for one hour and I looked at them. What, what these people? <laughs> and I say, yes, these are elements. Because when they're sitting on this small thing, it's hardness. But there's softness also. So that kept, on, kept, on the, uh, kept, the, kept them going, you know. But for me, even when I was sitting on on the soft cushions, but still I had pain. It was because now the element of hardness w was outbalancing softness. So really this was very revealing for me to really know the interplay of the four elements. So anyway, what is very helpful if you have so much pain, break it apart into four elements. That's very helpful than just seeing a solid thing sitting somewhere, you know. That helps. Attitude also is very important with the emotional pain, let's say for anger. When you have anger, what do you do with anger? Are you repressing it? Are you suppressing it? Are you expressing it? <laughs> well, expressing anger is just another desire. Hmm? Expressing it. And repressing and, uh, and suppressing it, it's yet another version. And ignoring it is also not helpful. Ignoring, if you ignore anger, is not very helpful. So the question is, what do meditators do? <laughs> they are not expressing anger. They are not repressing it. They are not suppressing it. They are not ignoring it. What are these people doing here? Have you ever asked this question? <laughs> what attitude are we bringing here? when we have emotional pain, such as anger? I think the answer is very simple. We are dissolving it. We are dissolving aversion, anger, using mindfulness, wisdom, and understanding. That's what we're doing. 
we are dissolving it. And that's the proper attitude to find a way how you can dissolve these difficult emotions. I'll talk more about it. So we are dissolving it. What helps you to, to dissolve this emotional pain is mindfulness, of course, effort, wisdom, understanding. These are the things that we use to see deeply the conditionality of these emotions, how they arise, how they uh, pass away, and what keeps them coming. All these things become very clear. So I think somebody has already given a talk on, uh, on this uh, uh, hindrances and how they arise. Yeah. So attitude is very, very important. And uh, if we don't really pay attention to the, to the attitude that we bring in our meditation, uh, we are going to see uh, a lot of, uh, we are going to have a lot of problems. Because attitude, once we change our attitude, how we relate to, what, relate to what's happening, it becomes workable. There is an author called Rob Bransma who talked about how the five hindrances are related to wanting. And for me, that's an attitude of wanting, wanting this, wanting this. And I'm going to spell that, I'm, I'm, to, to, to tell you what he, he did. He talked about sense desire. These are the five hindrances. He talks about I want. For me, wanting is an attitude towards something. Ill will is I don't want. Hmm? Then restlessness and worry, I want something else. And then sloth and topper, I don't want anything. <laughs> and doubt, I don't know what I want. <laughs> so this is uh, interesting to see what attitude. Are we wanting? Are we pushing our things? Or are we ignoring? So attitude is very, very important. And... Uh, you will see uh, our attitude will make a difference in many things, especially with uh, our mind states. If you are going through your day when there's a lot of judgment, you have this kind of judgmental mind. Is that the attitude that you are bringing to your experience? Judging others. I think it was Andrea uh, talked about somebody uh, in a line, you know, heaping on food is not much. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what happens here. By the way, there's not a lot happening here. There's no chocolate. There's chocolate? No. Ice cream. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, movies and... No, let's talk about movies. I don't know. <laughs> there's no movies and newspaper and all this, but still there's always something we find, you know. Either the, 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 the yogi slowing is too slowly or too fast. And all. So this is about our attitude. Now the question is, can we shift our attitude from being judgmental to being judicious? I think this is very important. Hmm? So being judicious is okay, but to be judgmental, this is based on so much of your, your biases, hmm? greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear. And being judicious is about having understanding, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. Proper attitude means responding instead of reacting. We respond to our emotions, to our thoughts, to our feelings. Responding also come, it come from, it comes from a place of understanding and wisdom, of letting go. Uh, compassion, of loving kindness, reactions on autopilot. Mm? Whatever happens, we just on autopilot. We react. We re react, of course, uh, based on our greed, hatred, and delusion. With proper attitude, then we are going to have coping mechanisms, yeah? how to deal with something, as opposed to improper attitude, where we are going to uh, have what we call defense mechanism living in a denial, suppressing, repressing, and all that. Let's go to the, another one, space, where are we with space? We, we have finished attitude. Continuity. Continuity, please refer to Andrea's lovely talk. <laughs> you saved me another one hour. <laughs> and you didn't know that, but I'm not blaming you, but I'm, I'm praising you. <laughs> 
refer to Andreas talk about continuity. If I have to talk about continuity, it's very, very helpful actually. The way I was trained by Sado Pandita in Burma, really, uh, he talked about even beyond continuity. Hmm? He talked about also what you call concurrence. Concurrence, which means that the observing mind and the object you observe, it should be synchronized. And he, gi he gave an example of uh, when you are eating and you have a spoon or fork, and when you get food, you have to get the fork, and then the food, the fork lands on the food, and then that's how you're able to eat. But if the fork is landing here or landing over there, you, you, you're not going to eat. <laughs> I love this very much. Your observing mind, you see this Sado was very precise. As you know, Sado Pandita, you know, the teachers of Joseph and all that. I mean, he would really talk about really concurrence. And, and that really supports continuity and later on concentration, is really you have to make sure that the observing mind, that's what he was talking about, observing power, which is mindfulness. So it has to really be at the top of what you are observing, not before or after. I think it was, uh, what he was trying to talk about is like lightning. You have to observe lightning when it's there, it's there in the present moment, not before and not after. So this is what we call concurrence. So continuity of mindfulness is very important. Then concurrence, and that also helps to really make sure that the mind is con mindfulness is continuous. And that makes what we call makes for what we call concentration, because uh, most people are looking for concentration, but they are not co continuous in their practice. So there's no continuity. Or, in their mindfulness. So this means a few things here. One is the flow of the postures when you're sitting, walking. For me, I like to see this as a seamless, a seamless events. Like from sitting, I do what you call standing meditation for a few moments and then walk. So I try to really bridge all those gaps between one posture to another posture to another invent. I found out also that to be very helpful for continuity or mindfulness. And also, I found out that as I breathe in and out, sometimes there are gaps between in-breath and out-breath. And that brings some kind of dis discontinuity. So what I do is try to fill in those gaps. Let's say if there's a gap, I would become mindful of sitting, touching in that gap. So breathing in, breathing out. Then when the breath becomes imperceptible, almost disappearing, sometimes there's gaps between in-breath and out-breath. So what uh, we do usually is actually to fill those gaps. So breathing in, sitting, touching, breathe out. So there's a continuity of your practice. Also, what helps with continuity is uh, really uh, what I talked about already, uh, concurrence. So then lastly, we want to talk about expectation in space. E stands for expectation free, not expectation freak. <laughs> we come here to meditate. Expectations are very, very good before you come here. You find somebody who's going to water your plants, somebody who's going to feed your pets, and all that. Before you come here, it's just amazing. Expectations. How you're going to meditate, the yogi job you're going to take, where you're going to sit, how many cushions. Planning. But once we are here, once we start the retreat, expectations can be counterproductive. Expectis, expecting jhana one, jhana two, jhana three, enlightenment, expecting this and that. I'm telling you, 
I've been there. <laughs> the good news is that all of us here have done this long retreat. I think so. <laughs> we all know exactly what happens with the mind. We know the, t- the territory very well, expecting this and that and that. Uh, I remember when I went to Burma to practice in 2004, I had this expectation for this wonderful teacher called Sado Pandita. I traveled all the way from the United States. I went there for a few reasons. One was to study Abhidhamma, and Joseph and the camera master sponsored that program for me. And then people bought air ticket for me to go to practice in Burma with this wonderful monk, you know, Sado Pandita. When he started talking, he talked about something I didn't expect. He was talking about the four wheels of success. I want him to talk about Satipatthana. That's it. The rest is commentary. <laughs> One day listening, two day listening. I hope he didn't have expectation for me. <laughs> what to talk about. Anyway, I had expectation. I was a, a, a new, new Lorden monk. I expected this monk who is very famous to teach me the four foundation of mindfulness. The rest I didn't want. One week, two weeks, I said, can I go and tell him actually the Dhamma talk I want you to hear from? <laughs> and that's not the monk you will tell. <laughs> you all know Saido Pandit. You will not tell that monk and <laughs> give talks that you want to listen. Anyway, that was my expectation which was crushed down completely. Now, expectations are very good, very good as I said, but uh, expectations is a form of loba, greed. It's a very subtle one actually, very subtle, very subtle. So what I found out, expectations are not so helpful. What is so helpful is to have what you call aspirations, aspirations to substitute your expectations with aspirations. With aspirations, you are actually focusing on the intention and the effort. You are not so much focusing on the results. Of course, the results are going to come. Your intention plus effort will bring results. But with the expectations, we are just on the result. We are result-oriented. We are not doing the work. <laughs> we are not putting out our skillful intentions, we are not actually working on, on our efforts, uh, wholesome efforts. We are just goal-oriented. We are just really focusing on the results of our practice. For me, that shift from expectation to aspiration was very, very important. And it's still very important in my practice. I remember in 99 when I was sitting three months here, I used to go to interview with Joseph, and there's still that sign there. On this path, try not to expect anything on this path. Everything will come to you. Every time I would go, I was planning what I'm going to tell Joseph and the expectation that I'm a good yogi. I would read it and say, yes, don't expect anything. Don't expect anything. Aspirations very good. And I, I want to tell you some of these aspirations. One of them is actually on this paper here. Idame, I hope it's here. Idame Sira Maga Palanyanasa Pacheyohoto. Where is it? This is very important. This is, I think, you do it. For me, this is a wonderful aspiration. Oh, I don't see it. Okay. Ah, great. Thank you very much, Annie. Okay. Idame Sila Maga Palanyanasa Pacheyohoto. May this virtue of mine help me, help bring about knowledge of the path and fruits. For me, every morning, I would, before I go for a seat, I would set out my, I would set my aspirations like this. It's very, very powerful, really, to set your intention there. It's wholesome. Uh, throw, uh, really, uh, uh, it helps you to really stay aligned with what you value most. But there's also a bigger intention I make every day since 2000. Since 2000, when I was on staff, a friend of mine from England sent me a card of the Dalai Lama. And I still have this card. This card. I put it in front of my bed, and every day this became like my prayer, actually. 
this how it reads, how I set my intentions. It says, a precious human life. Every day, think as you wake up. Today, I'm fortunate to have woken up. I am alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefits of all beings. I put including myself because I don't want to miss the boat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a Trevada monk. <laughs> this thing of all beings. <laughs> okay, anyway, I smuggle in something there. <laughs> I'm not going to get angry or think badly about others. I'm going to benefit others as much as I can. There is no single night, there's no single day that I pass without reflecting on this. I do it as soon as I wake up. This card is over how many years? 2020. How many years now? 18? <laughs> Something like that. Every day I set that aspiration. It reminds me of the bigger picture, either of meditation or my life. Because many things happen, and it, it's very easy to get derailed. Mm? And then you forget your, your wholesome intentions and why you even are here. What's the purpose of life? <laughs> you can forget easily what's the purpose of life. What's the purpose of meditation? Those things you can forget easily when you are tormented by pain, by emotional pain. But once I really do these aspirations, then I'm, I relax. <laughs> I have uh, uh, what we call aspiration. Not so much expecting, oh, what's going to happen uh, from this moment to another moment to another moment. So what I do actually is to focus on my intention all the time and my effort. I keep on checking on my intentions and efforts because I just feel that if you don't have uh, this aspiration, then there's going to be some kind of complacence. So for me, this aspiration helped me to balance over striving, over efforting, over uh, what you call struggling a lot, and also complacence. So it helps me to keep in check my practice. So now, uh, I'd like you uh, to observe during the day your expectations. Some of, I think, the common expectations I had in 1999 when I was doing a three-month retreat is that the timetable time is going to change drastically. So I used to go on a board and look at the timetable like this all the time. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, the timetable there on a bulletin board is going to stay pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm in am I in trouble here? <laughs> no, there'll be few changes, of course. <laughs> but don't expect to, the whole timetable to turn on its head, you know. <laughs> so that we start doing things in a reverse order. <laughs> so what this means, though, is moderation is very important. Mm -hmm. So moderation is very important. How you look at, at the blessing board. Of course, if there's any change anyway, p teachers are going to announce. <laughs> but I think there's this kind of yearning expecting and expecting and expecting. I mean, you look at the time you're going to have your interview and you go again and look at it. <laughs> and again. <laughs> no, you're going to have two teachers here <laughs> for interview. That's fixed. <laughs> it's just amazing. So then what? The, the bulletin board then became a center of attention and expecting this and that. Of course, there's always some goodies there, you know. <laughs> a note from a friend or what. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, don't have 
much expectation that there's a whole lot of things that are going to change there. There are a few things that will change, but they will be very clear. I hope I don't <laughs> spoil this, but anyway, you know that. I think that's about it. <laughs> Space. <laughs> S stands for slowing down. Silence. P stands for patience. A stands for attitudes, proper attitudes, not wrong attitudes. And uh, C stands for continuity, concurrency, and concentration. These are wonderful things to do. And the E stands for expectation-free, non-freak. <laughs> I hope this helps you. These are just tips, you know, really to see what has helped me in my practice. And I've been, I'm sharing with this with you. I hope it will be very helpful. And if it doesn't help you, you can give it back to me. <laughs> anyway, let us sit for a moment or two. Let us sit for a moment or two. May all beings find space in their practice. May all beings be uh, happy and peaceful. May all beings attain Nibbana in this very lifetime. Thinking, thank you for your attention. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.